You're listening to The Devoted Podcast, where our desire is to be women devoted to the Word of God. We're so glad you're here, and we pray you'll be challenged and encouraged as we look to God's Word together. Remember that Old Testament story about Elisha, and it's in 2 Kings, and I'm not going to read the whole thing to you, but it's that part where he is reading or he's telling his servant, and he asks that the Lord open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. And it's a great story. I, I love, I was thinking about reading the whole thing, but I'm, I'm not going to go there. But it's that part where he's, he's telling his servant or he's asking the Lord to open the eyes of his servant so that he may see what? Well, see what's really in front of him. Like I said, you know, we, we like the stuff that we can see and touch and all that kind of stuff. But we forget that the things that are in the spiritual, the spiritual forces that Ephesians 6 is talking about are so real. They're so real. And back in 2 Kings, we see that story in the Old Testament. He says, open the eyes of my servant. And the servant opens his eyes. The Lord opens his eyes rather for him. And he sees this vast army. I mean, huge, huge army that is right behind them on the hillside. And I always love that picture. And I think I just needed to be reminded of that too, guys, because again, we think we're fighting against whatever the situation is. Um, and we'll talk about some of those examples in a little bit. But the spiritual battle is real. And so I think it's really important that we see what is this fight that we're in. And we need to identify that it's a spiritual battle, okay? Spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. I've done such a poor job of trying to explain that. And I, I know there's lots of examples in scripture. Maybe we just need to meditate even on that part and ask the Lord to show us those things so that we can really see what the fight is in front of us. Because I, one thing I find when you do this is that it sure makes it where you're not quite as mad at your spouse or your friend or whoever that person is that's offended you or hurt you, or maybe it's even something in the news when you can identify that, oh, wait, it's not this that I'm fighting against. It's not this issue. This is a spiritual battle that we're dealing with. So I referred to earlier, you know, we talked about that Stand Firm episode where it was, you know, that we need to armor up and we need to armor up right now. I loved it when my sister-in-law Kimberly and her in the podcast, she talked about her marriage and she talked about how they would daily read that Ephesians 6 passage and kind of visualize each piece, you know, of putting on the armor of God. And we need to do that, guys. We need to do that personally. We need to do that in our families, in our marriages, in our schools, communities, churches, all of it. Man, such an important verse. And I love, again, that he that the Lord gives us such picturesque, like things we can actually uh, physically see as a way to stand firm and a way to armor up against the enemy that is trying to destroy us, you know? But do you ever have one of those days where you just feel the resistance at every corner, you know? And, you know, it's easy to blame that person or their attitude or, hey, let's be real. It could even be my attitude. Maybe it's that governor's mandate, whatever it is that we're just, it just feels like, man, we're just getting pressed against every, on every side. And, you know, I'm not trying to over-spiritualize everything around us, okay? I, I'm not trying to do that, but I do think that we do need to recognize the fact that there is a legitimate battle that's being waged around us. Again, that Ephesians six twelve. just read it. You know, we got to trust the word through and through. And it tells us that we're not battling against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of evil. So I think it's important to see that that is what the battle is. So that let's, we're defining that. But then where do we see this fight? 
You know, we are seeing this fight in this uh, spiritual battle all around us right now. Culturally, we see this in our cities, for sure. You know, okay, maybe when I was back in Wyoming, I was not seeing this as much. But here in Portland, we are seeing this. And, you know, I thankfully, I'm not downtown, but I'm I concerned about some of the folks that are down there because it's kind of starting to reach into neighborhoods even, guys, you know, and, and we're seeing this just darkness. I tell you, some of the things that I've seen on the news, because Portland now makes national news just about every day, is truly heartbreaking and some of the worst stuff I've ever seen on television. I mean, some of the things where they're showing where, you know, people are getting beaten and it's horrific, guys. It is you have you can't look at it and go anything. But man, that's dark. It feels like the enemy's doing some show and tell down there. It really does. That for me, that part isn't really hard to see the spiritual darkness and the evil that's present in some of those riots and some of the things that are going on right now, the, the, just the destruction, the fire. I mean, all of it. We had several, a couple weeks back, I'm not sure how long ago this was, time kind of all goes together. They were burning Bibles. Okay, guys, there's a spiritual darkness that we are so seeing in our cities. Just culturally, it's there. I've heard, you know, I've not traveled a whole ton to other countries, But I remember in college, you know, reading books on missionaries and stories when people would go into the jungles or maybe some third world countries. And they describe, you know, kind of this almost you can almost feel it, spiritual darkness in some of those villages and things like that. And I don't think here in America we have quite as much of a reference point for that because we don't really see that to that extent. I think it's just more obvious to people that perhaps have traveled more and have a little more experience in that kind of thing. But I have felt as of late, I got to say that I feel like we got a taste of it. I feel like when you watch the news and you see some of the stuff going on, man, guys, there's some darkness there. Where else do we see this fight? I think we see the fight, you know, in families and schools. Okay, this one is a funny one to me because I just when I think of the school situation, confusion, I mean, I can't even tell you. I feel like I'm in a fog about school schedules. And normally, I feel like I'm I'm pretty with it and astute on the, you know, the planning and the scheduling pieces. But this year, I mean, I wow. I feel like I'm squinting in this fog and and I just seriously have no no clue what our days and our schedule looks like come September 8th. Is that when the first day of school is, I mean, I'm not even kidding. I'm not even sure if I know the first day of school. I just feel like there's this fog. And you're like, well, how is that like a, a spiritual warfare? It's the confusion piece to me. I feel like we've got these school administrators and we've got these people doing amazing jobs, doing the absolute best that they can, putting out these emails and trying to articulate the the structure and the and the mandates and all this kind of stuff. And I don't feel like I'm dumb, but I'm not kidding. Sometimes I read those emails, I get all the way to the bottom and I'm like, what was said there? I don't even know. I mean, this has just been such an area of confusion. And I think confusion can be something that is just an element, a tactic of spiritual warfare, just not letting you even think about it real clearly. I felt a lot of confusion on that. How about in church? You know, do we see this fight in in the church? And I'm meaning, you know, the greater church. And boy, I sure think we do. I mean, we have seen such mixed and confusing messages among Christians. 
And it's just so much of it right now. I mean, whether they're Christians debating on the biblical response to social justice, my goodness, there's even division in the church between whether you should wear a mask or not, or there's division about politics within the church. I mean, the unity of the church right now, it feels a little rocked for sure. And sometimes, guys, it's even silly stuff. And that is the one I think that particularly the areas of the church that I started zeroing in on the spiritual fight a little bit more, because I think it's really easy to go, oh, well, you know, we disagree and and I don't see things the way they do. And, and it becomes about the person. It kind of becomes personal. And then you start going, well, wait a minute, though, is it? Let's go back to Ephesians 6, 12. We're not battling against flesh and blood. And we talked a little bit, was it last week when we were talking about fellowship and how the enemy does not want this. He doesn't want us to hang out. He doesn't want us to have rich fellowship together. He doesn't want us to grow in the word. So is it any wonder that he's going to absolutely try to cause confusion in our families? He's going to try to send mixed messages and just all kinds of different pieces out there that are going to just stir the pot and make us not unified. But We need to remember that all of this is, like we said from Ephesians 6, 12, it is a spiritual element to all of this. We're not fighting against flesh and blood. And we need to remember that the adversary wants to mess us up. So like I said, we want to define our terms. So what do I mean by adversary? Okay, I want to be careful here because I am going to talk a little bit about some definitions on the adversary, but I want to, don't want to give this more attention than it deserves, really. So hear my heart on this, that I'm not looking to just sit here and focus on the enemy for however long it takes me to get through some of these terms, because I really don't want to give him any more attention than he deserves. However, I do want to know who we're talking about. And I think it's important for us to hear it, because I think it helps us, it helps me to understand we're talking about something very real. We're not talking about something that is just on paper, or it's just a myth, or it's something you read in your Bible or your Old Testament, whichever you're saying, yeah, but you don't like have a physical peg to kind of hang it on. So I want to, that's why it's important to me that, to look at this. In the, the Hebrew word for Satan, it just means to oppose, obstruct, or accuse. I find that interesting, the accusing. How often do we just feel accused? Or we see other people, maybe even within the church, accusing one another. Again, it's not flesh and blood. He's in the mix on that. The Greek term for Satan, it literally means adversary. And that's why I keep referring to it as that, because not that I'm trying to say that Satan isn't real or whatever, but I, I, because he absolutely is. But that word adversary, an opponent, like somebody who is against you. In the New Testament, you know, the, that's a title or a name for Satan. They say adversary. They use that both. But what I found also interesting as I was studying this, in the Old Testament, the word Satan is both a noun and a verb. And I thought, wow, how appropriate for him, right? <laughs> because the, we read up there what, you know, the Hebrew word to oppose, obstruct, or accuse. You can hear those as verbs. Those are verbs. You're obstructing something. You're accusing. But it's also his name. And I, I find that interesting that those interchange. So our adversary, what is he up to? You know, we read in Job 1, in Job 1.6, and it says, And it happened one day that the sons of God came to present themselves before Yahweh, and Satan also came into their midst. So Yahweh said to Satan, From where have you come? And Satan answered Yahweh and said, From roaming on the earth and from walking about in it. He just sounds like he's just been going for a little stroll. I love the, uh, you know, he just, he makes it sound so innocent, which 
I think is interesting. I think sometimes he does try to come off quite innocently. Like, oh, it's no big deal. I'm just taking a walk around the earth. I'm roaming. But again, what does his name mean? It means adversary, opposing, obstructing, accusing. Well, that's what he's doing. He's, he might just be roaming around walking, but it's not like he's uh, not actively trying to mess things up. John 8 talks about the adversary this way. And he says, that one, meaning the adversary, was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand firm in the truth because the truth is not in him. Whenever he speaks the lie, he speaks from his own nature because he is a liar and the father of lies. I love how it puts that. It's simple, okay? The truth is not in him. I think that is such a key. It just doesn't exist. There is no truth in him. And I think this simplifies sometimes when we're trying to identify something, you know, is this of the Lord or is this of the enemy? Boy, we can, We have one basic question we can start off with right there. Is it true? You know, a little Philippians 4, 8 right here, I think can do wonders for us when we're faced with a situation that there feels like there's a confusion and division and all kinds of just mess. Let's run it through Philippians 4, 8. That says whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. If there is anything excellent, if there's anything praiseworthy, think about these things. I think I would probably, if I ran, you know, my day through the filter, you know, the sieve of Philippians 4.8, I would probably be in a whole lot better shape. I love that the first thing on this list, though, is that it says, is it true? We read in John 8, where it says that there, he's the father of lies. There's no truth in him. He's a liar. And so we know that he's the antithesis of truth. So right away on this list is the thing that our, whatever it is that we're focusing on, whatever the issue, is it rooted in truth? Because if it's not we don't want to be thinking on these things, like Philippians 4 tells us at the end of that. Another verse on this, on First Peter 5, 8, you know, he says, again, still talking about the adversary, but it's also Peter is cautioning us here. And he says to be sober, be alert. Your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion looking for whom he may devour. And then resist him, it says in verse 9, steadfast in your faith. We're going to talk about that one in a minute. I want to come back to that. But, you know, great words from Peter here, inspired by the Holy Spirit, to be sober, be on alert, for your adversary the devil walks around like a roaring lion. I couple that picture of the lion with what we read in Job, with that he's just roaming, taking a walk. But then, you know, that one sounds a little more innocent. Then when you get to Peter and he talks about, well, he's roaming, he's walking around the earth, but he's a lion. Okay, he's not, he's not tame. He is not something that is innocent. And it says he's a lion, what? Looking for someone to devour. I've said this many times, and I'm probably just going to keep saying it because I think we, we trivialize this. And we, because perhaps we don't visualize something, we don't see something as the spiritual battle for that it is. We kind of act like it's it's just not a big deal, you know? We treat the enemy like he is not as vile as he truly is. And he seriously hates us. Like I said, I repeat that, but I think we need to remember that he is not for us. There's no truth in him. We don't want any part of what he's got going on. So let's switch gears a little bit because, yep, the enemy is alive and kicking right now. He is real and he hates us. But... Like I told you at the beginning of that little definition section there, I don't want to give him any more press than he deserves because 
we're going to read a really cool passage here in a second. And I, I was going to just shorten it, but I thought, nope, it's just too good. Because here's where his story ends. Okay, we get to see, we get to fast forward to Revelation and we get to see exactly where he ends up. Revelation 12, starting in verse 7, says, And there was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. So there we got our picture of our little battle going on there. Verse 8, And they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them any longer in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, the ancient serpent, who is called the devil and Satan. Same guy we've been talking about the whole time, the adversary. He was thrown down. He is the one who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. And then here's the good part, guys. Well, that was pretty good too, but I love this part too. Verse 10 says, and I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come because the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down. The one who accuses them before our God day and night, and they conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives until death because of this. Rejoice, you heavens, and those who live in them. Woe to the earth and to the sea, because the devil has come down to you, having great anger, because he knows that he has little time. Okay, I had to read that whole part because to me, this is where this shifts. You know, like I said, we were defining our terms. Sure, we want to know who Satan is. We absolutely want to le- make sure we understand that he's a legitimate foe, and a legitimate enemy of ours. But I needed to read that first part of what happens to him? Because big spoiler here, guys, he loses. He loses. And the thing is, is Satan, the one roaming around right now, he knows that he loses. He is a defeated enemy. He knows, I mean, it's like going into the big game knowing you lose. I mean, he loses. So we know there we get to see his big defeat, but then we get to transition into what I would love for us to focus on more. Because it, did you notice there too? It, it didn't say that Jesus was the one that was throwing down Satan. He actually sends Michael, an angel. Our God, Jesus, is so powerful. I mean, he is, Satan is nothing compared to him. And that's why I wanted to read those verses from 10 through 12, because that's the part that talks about that the salvation and the power and the kingdom of God, of our God and the authority of Christ have come. Those are the things that I want to focus on. That's where the power actually is, that he's been conquered by what? The blood of the land, the blood of Jesus that we rest in because we know that we've been saved by the blood of the lamb. So it's just such a great ending, guys. Nope, I'm not a person that really likes to read the very end of the page of a book. But this one, we want to know. And I think it gives us increased confidence in in this fight that we're in, knowing that, yep, number one, it's a spiritual battle for sure. But guys, he already, he loses. So don't be freaked out by him. Do not be freaked out by him. Let's focus on Jesus and the one who has all the power and all the authority. I just love that. But they do, the scripture does also tell us to make sure that we understand that we're not ignorant of Satan's devices. It tells us that in 2 Corinthians 2.11. And, you know, I find that he's just, the adversary is just really distracting right now. And I I know we could define what those distractions look like in a lot of different ways. And we kind of have a little bit when we talked about really defining what that fight looks like. But I wanted to look at a, a couple more that 
I was reading a old sermon, a George Whitfield, a portion of a George Whitfield sermon. He was an old 1700s pastor from this part of the Great Awakening movement. And when he was, he was talking about Satan and his devices, and he said this, he said, when the apostle says, we are not ignorant of his devices, that's, he's referring there to 2 Corinthians 2.11, he's thereby implying that we are more in danger of being seduced by his policy than overborne by his power. I really like that summation right there, because I do think that sometimes we give him far more credit for being so powerful. We have to, you know, you know, he's because we have we've talked about he's a lion and he, he wants to mess you up and all that stuff. Yep, that's all true. But we read in Revelation that he's I mean, he's not even significant enough that God himself has to do battle with him. He sends an angel to do that. That's who ends Satan right there. And so, but we often, we are seduced though by his policy. I thought that was a great way of putting it because it's his policy. It's the stuff that he's doing. It's the distractions that he's laying before us, but it's not his power. So then, you know, further on in in, uh, this sermon that George Whitfield did, he points out a couple things that are these tactics of the enemy that I think we, as 2 Corinthians tells us, we don't want to be ignorant of these things. You know, and one of them he says is um, despair. This is, boy, you could see this. If you've had a friend or you yourself have ever struggled with depression or just some of the darkness that comes with that, it's dark. There's despair there, but that's a tactic of the enemy for sure. I love what Jesus did when he was being tempted by Satan in the wilderness. How did he always respond? He always responded with, it is written. He responded with scripture. And what a cool tactic that that's telling us to combat the enemy with is to combat him with scripture itself. I also love that we can reflect on the fact that, you know, Jesus himself intercedes for us. That's an amazing picture, guys, especially when you run that through the lens of what we read in Revelation 12. God is all powerful. Absolute salvation and authority come from him and Satan with an angel. He is the one that has all the power. And that is who we're talking about is interceding for you and for me. That's amazing. I hope that that gives you comfort because it it gives me comfort to know that the things that are troubling me, that Jesus is interceding for me. In that verse that talks about uh, him interceding, it's in Hebrews 7, 25. And it says, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he is always living to make intercession for them. That's just a huge comfort to me. Another one that, that the enemy uses that is a tactic of his is pride. You know, pride, ugly pride, thinking of yourself more highly than we ought. We forget this. This is the one that actually was Satan's downfall in the very beginning, back in the Old Testament, when you read that that was, he lifted himself up, he exalted himself, and that was his ultimate downfall. And we, boy, can that be such a downfall for us to focus on the things that we are doing, lifting ourselves up above what the Lord is really the one who gets the credit for. That's a big one. We see that all the time. Another distraction I think that we see a lot is or a tactic of the enemy, rather, is doubt. And, you know, this one has been troubling to me, I think, in the last couple of years, because, you know, growing up in a Christian family, and I've just kind of been immersed, I've been very blessed to be immersed in a Christian home and Christian education and church, you know, most of my life. 
So it really hadn't occurred to me till honestly, like later in my adult life, getting exposed to folks that doubt the faith that they've always held. And, you know, particularly in these last few years, we've seen these deconversion stories. I don't even like saying that, but it's funny to me. Like we actually, most of us probably even know what that is because it's become such a big deal, whether they've been worship leaders or there's all kinds of folks that have raised in Christian homes. And and then all of a sudden they just took a hard left turn and have completely cast down their faith, don't believe in God. I mean, it's not even a step of like, oh, I, I'm not sure about this issue in the in the Bible or, you know, because that's the thing that always gets me. It's not that the Bible does not welcome our questions. It's not that our faith is so weak that we can't ask legitimate questions and search the scriptures for those answers. They're there, guys. They are there. The word is so true and so, and the Lord is so faithful, especially when we seek him with that pure heart to really find the answers. So it's always interesting to me because often you'll hear these deconversion stories and they'll say, hey, I grew up in a church that you weren't allowed to ask questions. And I, that baffles me because I don't know. And I'm, you know, I shouldn't say that because I guess there probably are some churches that maybe that was their experience. But I, I wonder if we give that a little bit too much credit and if that's a little bit of an excuse perhaps for the person that is going through the doubt of going, yeah, I wasn't really allowed to ask questions. Really? Because in this day and age, even if you don't ask the question out loud, there are so many resources and so many things that you can really turn to to find answers to some of the questions we have. I do want us to be careful as Christians. I want to, um, the in Jude, it reminds us to be gentle with those that doubt. We don't want to be harsh because, like I said, though it is okay to have those questions, but seek with a heart that desires to seek the truth. And I think that can be the, the distinction there. But doubt's a big one. And we've seen that. And the thing that he's often using, the enemy, is often using is using other people. You know, um, the example of even this is this goes back as old as creation, where Eve is used to he uses Eve to tempt Adam into sin. You see Job's wife, you know, he tells he his wife tells Job to curse God and die. Wow, super uplifting. But often, guys, there'll be other people, maybe believers that are just kind of led astray, or maybe just people that aren't believers at all. And he'll use those folks to sort of plant some seeds of doubt. Need to recognize that, again, that's not flesh and blood. But that's a spiritual battle that's being waged, and doubt's one of those. So I want to get to some good news of that. You know, we we know we need to be not ignorant of these devices. We need to know that they're there. I want to keep reminding us, though, that we want to make sure we're not directing the ire we may have at, you know, that at the person. It's not. It's not the person. Realize you're not battling against that person or whatever the issue is. You're really battling in the spiritual battle. But I want to remind us back when we were reading 1 Peter 5 and um, 1 Peter 9 or 1 Peter 5, 9 said, resist him, okay? Steadfast in your faith. That's Peter's response to what we should do with the enemy. I love that word resist because guys, it's not really much of a battle term. You know, I know our purpose here in this podcast is we're talking about stay in the fight and, you know, we want to battle the enemy. We want to know the enemy we're fighting. We want to know it's a spiritual battle. 
But look what it says we need to do. It says resist him. To me, that feels like a, it's just not a super strong word. There's not a whole lot of blood, sweat, and tears in the word resist. I think we can always go back to Jesus's example, like I said earlier, when how he responded to Satan with, it is written. It is written. He would respond with a scripture. There wasn't even anything that was terribly, you know, heart gut-wrenching about it. It was just, it is written. And he would give him a scripture. But that verse there, resist him. I think it's, again, we try to give him a little more credit than he would. He is not that powerful. He has power. But remember whose team we're on. We're on the team of the one that has brings salvation and all authority and dominion from Revelation 12. That's the side we're on. So when we have that on our side, yeah, all we have to do is resist him. So know what and who you're fighting and know what and who you are not fighting. That's a really important distinction to be made. And I think like for me, I think it was just a little bit of that extra coloring to that Ephesians 6 verse of what we're fighting. I think as we battle with some of these issues within church or culture or the different things that we see, but know who and what we're fighting and who and what we are not fighting. And then I think we need to understand, you know, what this fight looks like. But there's a couple of mistakes we can make. That first one, we spent a lot of time talking about acknowledging, you know, that the fight is that we wage is a spiritual battle and we're not fighting flesh and blood. But second one is I think sometimes we fight with the wrong tools. If we're in a spiritual battle, which I believe that we are, what tools are you going to use to fight that? And see, here's where we go all wrong, because if we're not acknowledging and it's a spiritual battle, then it's going to seem very natural to absolutely respond with a Facebook post or respond with an unkind word or whatever method we choose. Maybe it's just even an attitude, guys. This, you know, I got to check myself on this, on just what is, what is my heart and my attitude towards that person? Not good. What are the tools we need to use? I was reading back that story in Exodus 17, and that's a story where uh, the, I'm not remembering off the top of my head the who they were fighting. But Moses, it's one of the first battles that they're fighting back there in Exodus. And in Joshua, he commands Joshua to go out and fight these people. And how the story goes is Joshua is going down in the valley and Joshua is battling it out with these folks. Okay. And Moses is up on the hill and he's standing there with Aaron and her. And he tells him that Moses tells Joshua, I will lift the staff of God as you're fighting down the valley. And, and then as, as it plays out, it tells you that, you know, when the staff was lifted, when the staff of God was raised up, that Joshua and the army was prevailing down there. They were winning. But when Moses's arms got a little tired, they started losing. I can't imagine what that actually would look like. But I feel like there's a lot of implications we could think about that. There's two parts of that I love that is, first of all, what was actually winning the battle? Well, it was the staff of God that he was raising up. It was the power of God that was that was controlling what was actually happening down there in the valley. So first of all, giving that that credit to the fact that it's it's the Lord that is winning that. That was the tool that was winning that battle down there. But there's another implication, too, with who was standing next to him. You know, he had Aaron and her were standing next to Moses and when his arms got tired, because it, it, that picture does signify the fact that we do start to feel a little weak in this fight. We're trying. We're trying to keep our hands lifted, but our arms get a little tired. 
But what did the did the people around him do? Aaron and her came and they put a rock. They helped rest his arms on something so that he could keep his arms lifted. I, what a great picture, guys, of how we can support one another when one of us is really in the battle fighting and one of us is lifting our requests, our hearts up to the Lord, asking him to prevail in the battle that we're watching and friends around us coming and helping us do that. I love that picture. I am so thankful for people that I have in my life that when I am feeling weak, I can send that text and say, hey, guys, I need a little extra prayer today. And I know that they are praying for me that day, that they are helping me take that battle to the Lord, knowing that the Lord is the one that helps us and he's the one as prevail. It's not us in the fight. So I think that's one of them fighting, fighting our battle with the wrong tools, you know. But I think another mistake where we can make, and I feel like I'm seeing this one a little bit more and more, and I think perhaps this was one of the reasons I think the Lord laid this on my heart so much is the other mistake I think we can make is not fighting at all. And guys, I'm not blaming you here. It feels so overwhelming and it can feel like there's so much going on that it just feels like nothing can be done. And so whether, you know, you'll talk to someone, they'll go, oh, man, I just need to move to Wyoming. Well, see, I get that, guys, because I like told you, I just came from Wyoming. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. Or, you know, whatever the issue is that it feels like I'm hearing and I sympathize with it because I could even sense that in myself of like just a little bit of resignation of like, eh, you know, it is what it is. Maybe we should just go somewhere else. Maybe we should just move. Maybe we should. What should we do? And I am not advocating for the fact that the Lord will move people on. The Lord will call you to do a certain move in different directions. The Lord uses us in all different capacities. He's a he's a big God and he's going to take you where he wills. And I'm thankful for that. But I do wonder, and I think I sensed this when I was leaving Wyoming and I was thinking, man, have I lost a little bit of my feistiness here? And that's where I kind of want us to look at. Like how, look, guys, gals, can we stay feisty? I want us to stay feisty, but I don't want us to do it in the way that the world determines this. We need to stay feisty with the right tools. We need to realize that this is a spiritual battle in front of us, and we need to be doing as Moses was doing and lifting the staff of God to prevail down in the valley. Okay, it's not going to be our thing. You know, it's not going to be that Facebook post that's that's going to set us over the edge or, you know, that is going to win the victory for us. It's just not. Isn't that one a funny one for us, guys? Because it for we still feel like we need to post for some reason. Who in the world has ever seen anyone be persuaded on a Facebook post or any other of those social media platforms? I've yet to see it. I've yet to see it. And yet it's such a distraction, I think, that the enemy uses because we're like, oh, we could just get that word out there, share that article or whatever. And and please don't hear that. My goodness, if you've ever shared, I have shared things. And I'm like, oh, gosh, why did I do that? I don't even know. Because I know that it just doesn't win the day. And it's a distraction often more than anything. We see the same thing with with marching and protesting. Again, it's not that some of those things, perhaps the Lord would call people to activism in some place, but where it's come now versus where we were even a couple months ago, I don't even know. But, you know, my audience here is for us as women. And how can we stay in this fight? And I think so many times I feel like this just boils down to resting in God's strength. 
and not ours. And I want to fight with the right tools and I want to rest in God's strength. I wanted to finish up with, I was going to read one verse of this Psalm. And as I started looking at it, I was like, no, I just need to, I need to read this whole thing. So I'm going to finish off here and I want to look, have us look at Psalm 46. Because this is just, I feel like where it just comes home for us. And, you know, this Psalm 46 talks about our God being our refuge and and all of these things. And, there, and in some of it, um, it's he's our fortress, which that fortress word, it's a battle word, guys. Like you you think of fortresses in, in battle terminology. And I feel like right now where we're at in this little September spot of 2020 in is sort of framing what our battle looks like right now. and. I think I just needed to be able to view the things that we're seeing right now for what it is. Let's have some extra love and compassion for those, especially in the body of Christ, guys, who perhaps the enemy is just distracting us and just trying to get us off course just a little bit so that there's a little bit of friction. There's a little bit of dissonance in between us to keep things from being unified. That is the enemy's ploy. So let's frame what the battle looks like. Let's know who we're fighting. Let's fight with the right tools. But let's know where we go for all of this, because it's really not as complicated as we make it in our little brains, you know? So Psalm 46, I just want to read this whole thing before we wrap up. And it says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. Though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. His voice, or he utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought the desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. If you heard anything today, I hope you heard verse 10 and 11 there of Psalm 46, to be still and know that I am God. Because I know so much doesn't feel very still right now. And there is so much within this battle that we're raging. So my heart in this is to hopefully to express a little bit of a pep talk of, gal, stay in the fight. Be fighting but fight with the right tools. Be praying for your families. Be praying for your churches. Be praying for your friends. Be praying for our leaders of our country. But guys, don't sit this one out. We want to be in this fight. And it's awesome, guys, because like we talked about in Revelations 12, we're on the winning side. So don't walk around like we're defeated and we, we don't got this thing because we are with the Lord. We are in a place, hopefully, where we're reminding us of what Jesus said to remind ourselves, it is written, okay? It is written what? To be still and know that I am God. He is God. He has got all of this. He is to be exalted among the nations. He's to be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. There's that big army word again, guys, host. That's a that's huge. 
That's huge. And that is who is fighting with us right now. So we can be confident in whatever we're in right now. If it's a situation at home with school, with work, if it's literally fighting some the crazy situation that's going in, on in uh, downtown in our streets and politically in our country, whatever it is, guys, we don't have to be worried and freaked out. Yes, we've identified lots of things in this podcast that are tactics and policies, you know, to use George Whitfield's word, of the enemy. But his power is nothing compared to who we are fighting with. So, gals, I hope you're encouraged today because, yep, we're in a fight for sure. But let's just identify it for what it is. Know who we're fighting. Okay, we're fighting an adversary that loses, that loses. And we are walking with the Lord. He is God. Such a comfort. But be encouraged, guys, as we're in this right now, to stay in the fight. Don't give up. Don't give up. Let's be praying. Let's be on our knees for our family, for our friends, for our school, our communities, everybody around us. We can use that right now. But let's let's press in into the word that it is written piece that Jesus reminds us about. All we got to do, we resist him. But we resist him how? We can resist him just with a word. So stay in scripture, stay in prayer, but keep fighting, guys. Keep fighting. Thank you for tuning in to the Devoted Podcast. We are a ministry of AV Creek Christian Fellowship in West Lynn, Oregon. For more resources, or if you need prayer or encouragement, send us an email at devotedpodcast at apcreek.com.